One of the greatest gifts of being a blogger or podcaster is the ability to give a voice to the voiceless. Meeting Charleston introduces Charleston's exciting local business minds to the community. And the Holy City Center takes everyday news stories, amplifies them, and puts them in a context that makes them easily digestible. It was never our intention to be a voice during moments of crisis. But based on the current events, both nationally and right here in Charleston, we want to share our platforms with those who are trying to be the leaders that our community needs. We are here to bring our followers an open discussion and introduce them to some new voices that may be the local drivers for change as we move forward. Welcome to the Uniting Charleston podcast series. We hope you enjoy. All right, we are joined now by Katie Blumquist, the founder and executive director of Going Places, a nonprofit based out of here in Charleston. Um, and thanks for, for being here, Katie. Thanks for having me. Um, so before we you know, really get into it, for those who aren't familiar with your work, give them the, that elevator pitch about what Going, going Places is. Sure. So we, our mission is to provide disadvantaged kids with their most basic childhood right, which is a right to joy. And we do that. We have several programs, but our biggest program and the only one we put money into is our Give a Bike, Give Joy program, where we provide a new custom bike to every single child at once in the low-income elementary schools and big surprise biker reels. So we're giving 400, 600 bikes at once. That's awesome. And amazing. You do the... Going Places incorporates some other uh, things as well. Obviously, the bike reveals uh, is how it started and is the big project, but you do other things throughout the year in addition to that, correct? Our other programs. Other programs. Yeah, so we give Halloween costumes to kids that can't afford them. So people donate new or like new costumes, because think about it, you guys have kids. I'm sure you have a closet full of bins of costumes that they wore once and never again, and they just sit there. And so we forget that a lot of these kids in these Title I schools, they can't afford Halloween costumes. And so they come on the Halloween dress-up day, and they're in uniform. And when I was a teacher, it was I, they were so excited the whole month of October, and then the day would come, and I, I'm in costume. And I'm like, where's your costume? And they would say, my mom says we have no money. So we go in. And then just, you just die inside. And then <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I had known. So my last year teaching, I brought 23 costumes and um, emailed every teacher and said, any kid, you know, we've a, we need a lot of adult sizes because a lot of the fifth graders are big, you know, they're tall and they're, you know, they're bigger. So um, we collected a thousand costumes last year and a thousand this year. And we went with clothing racks into three different Title I schools this mm-hmm. year. And any kid not in costume got to come pick one out. Awesome. So it's, it was such a feel good program. We didn't have to spend hardly any money on it. And we had about 20 drop locations, kind of like the Toys for Tots boxes. We put all over the Tri-County area, and people just donated costumes. Yeah, so you you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, journey to uh, becoming Mother Teresa? (laughs) Like, where did you grow up? How did you end up in Charleston? And what... what, uh, So my life story. Yeah, give it to us. Um, So I'm from L.A., California. I always like to say I'm a real live valley girl. (laughs) You don't ever meet a native... California, LA person, let alone from the actual Valley. But I'm from LA. Um, my dad was um, in the writer, director, producer, and my mom, and he was a freelance writer, director, producer. So he was an entrepreneur. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom that did full-time volunteer charity work. Ironically, I've combined the two, and that's my job. That's my life. <laughs> um, and so I went to University of Colorado Boulder for undergrad, 
moved to Chicago for six years, uh, went into marketing and advertising, hated it, felt like it didn't matter, I wasn't making a difference. So I got my master's in elementary education and then moved to Charleston, taught for four years, or I'm sorry, six years in the low-income schools. And when I was a teacher, um, I taught first grade at Pepper Hill Elementary in North Charleston. A little boy in my class named Juwan asked me for a bike on his birthday. And so that's kind of how it all started. I, I did a GoFundMe and it went truly viral. I raised over $80,000 in like three months and it was in Time Magazine and Lester Holt flew out a camera crew and covered it. And um, Steve Harvey flew me out to Chicago and put me on his show and donated $20,000. And I mean, it, it, truly viral. It was Wow. A parallel universe, wild. But a reporter had asked me in an interview, and I wish I could remember who, to give them credit because they said, what's next? And I said, what do you mean what's next? I did it. Like, I gave the bikes. <laughs> I got all 650 kids in my school a bike. And they said, you cannot stop here. You know, there's, you've opened this window to this idea that joy is a need, is a basic need too. It's a piece of our social emotional health. And you have a national following and seed money because we had more donations come in than what we needed. This is a position zero people are in when they start a nonprofit. And I was ready to leave teaching anyway. So I, um, I got founded Going Places and have been working in it full time ever since, which was three years ago. Wow. So that's an amazing story. <laughs> um, so, and so, and then how, what was the time frame between when Jawan asked you for this bike and when you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. So ironically, his birthday and my dad have the, are on the same day, which is kind of cute and special. So it's his May 17th, 2016 is when he asked me for the bike. And so I, you know, the end, that's right at the end of the school year. The school year is done within less than a month. So it was on my mind the rest of that school year over the summer. And then that was right when it was the elections between Trump and um, and Hillary. And so there was so much negativity online, like more than we've ever seen before. And I just was like, I need to do something that's, I need to post something positive, get people kind of on the same page again. And so that had been weighing on my mind about the bikes. And so after asking around for kids in my class, you know, do you have a bike? And cause I just took this, this memory for granted, you know, I mean, my whole life was from my pool to my bike back and forth. And I, you know, working in this saturating this poverty environment, I was so aware of the shoes and the socks and the bed and the books that the kids don't have, but I never thought about the things that bring us most joy. And most kids kept saying, you know, no, I don't have one or I have an old one that it broke right away or it's all rusted or basically the answer was no. And so Knowing that when most of these kids go home from school, that's when their stress starts. You know, home is not always a safe place for them. It's not predictable. It's not for us. We're like, oh, home, you know, I can yeah. relax. It's not relaxing for them. And so to give them a way to escape, even for a few hours on a bike, is truly something, especially when it's long breaks. I mean, think about quarantine right now, how awful it must be for a lot of them. So I asked my principal, can I do this? And she said, sure. So I launched it the day after Labor Day, 2016. And that's, that's what, beginning of September. By October, I was on Steve Harvey. And that's, like, it had already started wow. some traction with, like, TJ Maxx and Twitter did a campaign um, supporting it. And then I had won $10,000 through 
GoFundMe for my school by raising X amount of money faster than anyone else for my campaign. And so when that happened, every news outlet in the city came, including the Post and Courier. So when the Post and Courier wrote about it, Steve Harvey's producers saw it, and all these other shows producers were calling too. So then once it aired on Steve Harvey, it was like, I mean, my phone's, you know, GoFundMe app was like, ding, 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 like every second. And that's, I mean, within three months, it went to over 80000 And Steve Harvey, um, the show donated money as well, right? Yeah, so he um, he has those different sponsors. So two of his sponsors, D-Herbs and Green Dot, each donated 10000 That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So one thing, I have a bunch of friends who have worked in school districts similar to the one that you described. Um, and oftentimes, they're really torn because sometimes it feels like, you know, you're making a huge difference. And then there's all these setbacks along the way. And sometimes it makes it feel like there's, you can't by yourself at least make that difference. What, what was your experience of dealing with the everyday back and forth of that? Oh, gosh. This is where I might get emotional because every time I say this story, I do. So bear with me. I almost cried <laughs> a few minutes ago. So. I, I, I probably told like my whole story 10 million times and I never get through it without crying. So it's, it's super, it's emotional, you know, but... Um, so I struggled, I mean, with that exact thing you're talking about, the teaching lifespan of a title one teacher is typically five years. And I taught for four and that's usually when they leave the profession for good because it's that exhausting and kids bring the stress from their home life into the classrooms. And it's, you know, you don't become a title one teacher and title one means low income, high poverty, um, because education is your passion. It's because that population is your passion. You're often, oh, sorry, I feel like crying. You're oftentimes, you know, the only constant in their life, like the only hug they get, the only adult that's like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite color? You know, just ask them fun questions. And, and um, you know, a lot of them bring trauma from their early, you know, even when they're babies, they don't remember, but it affects them. And they, a lot of them have PTSD from things that they've seen or that's been done to them. I mean, I you would you would never even remotely guess the things that these kids have. A lot of them have seen and been through by age seven. And so, you know, I once, you know, I, I had a, a a first grader bring a steak knife to school once, like with the intention to stab somebody with it, and that was a six year old girl. And so the the stress level is beyond. Plus, I had. 12 different reading levels in my classroom. Over half of them were below grade level. And you wow. have to somehow meet with all of those people, all of those kids every day. But there's no time because you're constantly stopped because of redirection of behavior. And so anyways, you know, you try and you try and you try and you go home and you cry and you cry every day. And you wonder, am I even making a difference? And we, this is the part. <laughs> we had... I was really wondering. I almost left teaching to be a wine sales rep because I think I really would be good at that job. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> but um, there, it was around Valentine's Day, and um, the assignment is love is because I think it's always funny to see what a six-year-old thinks love means. And Jawan was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to do it. And like fighting the assignment. And I said, Jawan, if an alien came down from like you know, to our plan and said, what is love? Tell me, what does it, what does it mean? What do you think of? And he wrote my name. Oh. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my God. This, this, this is the same kid with the bike. Too, yeah. Right? yeah. 
And so I thought out of all things, like that, my, I'm like what he associates with what love is. So I thought, okay, I'm making a difference. <sighs> so that I take for, I'm like, he's never going to see that paper again because it's framed on my, <laughs> in, my, in my office. I'm like, I will be taking this home. <laughs> um, but you know, so that's, it's things like that, like moments like that. Like another kid assignment was like, I feel most safe when, and, or most happy when, and a kid wrote, when, when my teacher sits, sits next to me on the playground. And that's me. Like, that's what brings him hap most happiness was not to play, but to sit with me and just talk. And so I also saved that one and framed it. <laughs> but, you know, so it's stuff like that where you think, okay, I am making a difference. But overall, I wasn't making a difference at the guide reading table. It was these outside interactions. It was on the playground when I got to actually talk about what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite superhero? You know, in the classroom, there isn't any time for that. And it was just so stressful to get in all these things under so much pressure. And so I had this opportunity that, you know, comes once in a million years to start this nonprofit. And so now I don't, maybe I'm not getting to interact every day with the kids, but I know I'm making a large impact on more. There's so, so many directions I could go with this conversation, and, and, and I've heard the, your story before, but I, I hadn't heard all of that, which is, yeah, super emotional. Um, for, your, for the school you were teaching at, obviously every Title I school is different, um, but your particular school, what was the school population like as far as students? Is it like vast majority black? Is it pretty, was it pretty balanced? How, what was it? Yeah, we had, um, the, um, I forgot the exact statistics, but it was like 98% black. Okay. Um, some of the kids, some depending on like, so most North, most North Charleston and downtown schools here at the Title I schools, they're mostly black. And then um, some of the Johns Island, um, West Ashley, those tend to be more um, Hispanic. Um, and, you know, we're, your expertise is in giving joy, uh, not some of these other things, but I think you have a unique perspective in that, in everything you've done with teaching and your nonprofit, um, whether it's, because we're, as you know, this crazy time right now between the virus and the quarantine protests and discussions on race, you kind of have a unique perspective where you see, you were in the education field, so you see some of those systemic issues that occur in education as well as the communities those kids come from, um, as well as, I mean, you're still seeing that, I'm sure, with your nonprofit as well. Um, and I just, I just think there's a lot, a lot of different directions we can go in, and I don't even know where to start. But you also mentioned how going home just on a regular day is tough for those kids, some of those kids. You know, they don't have, going home isn't that relaxing place you can go to. So I guess we'll start there when the coronavirus started. And I think you and I talked and we um, did an Instagram Live that uh, during this time period where a lot of kids in other places might be, hey, I get a vacation, I'm home with my family, everything's going to be awesome, I can go ride my bike. But some of the kids that you taught, this could be a really scary and difficult time for them for numerous reasons, whether it's their home life um, in different capacities, including uh, some kids, We I think we talked about this too, some kids, their only way of getting food during the school year is at school. Um, so there's a lot of different issues. So I guess, can you talk to that? Like, what sort of, um, what was your feeling when you heard about this? And I know your roommate's still a teacher. What sort of things were you guys worried about when it came to those students? Well, thankfully, there are the food um, pickup opportunities at the Title I schools. Um, so they could get 
I think it was two or three meals a day. Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. it extends into the summer. I know there's different food pickup opportunities, thankfully. So at least I know they have the opportunity to, you know, to possibly eat. But that does require some parental help Mm -hmm. assistance to get there to get the food and all that. Um, But it's just that safe, predictable place. You know, it's it, it not every home life is horrible. But they don't necessarily have a lot even at home. And their families don't always know how to spend, a, you know, quality time together. So it's just, it's a lot of emotional, you know, part of our curriculum we taught was was social emotional skills and um, social behavior and how to, like, how to express your feelings. Like tell someone like, I need some space. I, I'm really, not, I'm not having a good day. I kind of need a minute. Like, I'm not in a joking mood into, or you know, I'd love to use that when you're done. Like those things that, you know, read someone's facial expressions. We have to physically teach how to read someone's facial expression and know what that means. And so knowing that they're missing out on all that and getting further and further behind. I mean, the, the drop rate of their, you know, reading levels and their, their educational skills just over summer is drastic because they're not, a lot of them don't have books at home and their parents aren't taking them to the library or, you know, reading with them at night or quizzing them with even dollar store flashcards. And so it's all this extra time. I know from a lot of Title I teacher friends, it was like pulling teeth to get any of their kids to participate over the online learning. And most yeah, of that was yeah. really just review. They weren't really teaching new stuff. More at the would, high school level they were, but not in elementary. I would imagine, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but I was just in my head immediately when you mentioned distance learning that that's got to be even more difficult for title one schools to have uh, children especially if they're in rural areas to have reliable internet access in order to communicate yeah they had um wi-fi trucks that went into a lot of these neighborhoods throughout the day so parents could actually could have internet Mm -hmm. and they got to bring home their school devices um the ipads the tablets or whatever the schools were are using these days um they got to bring those home so they had access but you know, it, what seven-year-old is going to go do work if their parents aren't making them? Um, right. And so yeah. it was really hard to get them to participate. But then just the other side of it is just the, if it isn't, I mean, like domestic abuse went up. Um, that's a fact on in, between children and adults during this time at home. I mean, just think about how, you know, just in my friends' relationships with their husbands or boyfriends, it's like, oh my gosh, they're always here. And you find a little, you're a little more annoyed with each other. Well, imagine already in a toxic situation. And with extra stress of not knowing where your next patient is exactly. coming from. And also, yeah. It's- yeah. Everything else added on top of regular life. Um, it was, you know, it, it it made me sick to think about it. And so that's why when we, we were supposed to give out our bikes in May, and we still don't know when that's going to happen. We've bought them. We've been paid for, and they're going to come soon. Um, we, my, our board was like, what can we do now to provide joy to these kids? So we came up with our bundles of joy and we're actually giving out the second half tomorrow at Pinehurst Elementary. And there were these bags, like gift bag size of activities for the whole family to participate in together to create family time. Because we found that our bikes were providing family time that didn't always exist before. Kids that never mentioned their parents. All of a sudden on Monday, I would say, what did you do this weekend? And they'd say, oh, my, my, my mom and dad and I took my bike to the playground. And I thought, oh, yes. Like, you know, they don't always know how to spend time together. And when you give them away, it can create this positive me- memory and time that maybe didn't exist before. So these bundles of joy had 
six different card games in them, and it had either Jenga, a mini Jenga or Legos. Um, some had a kite. They had a miniature terrarium. They had, um, gosh, there was like six or eight different things, but they were all activities that they could enjoy together. And those were all funded um, by your donors, of course, and uh, they were able to buy through uh, Amazon, right? Just yeah, and Wonderworks. And Wonderworks. Wonderworks donated the uh, miniature terrariums and the and the kites, and we didn't spend a single dollar on this program. Wow. We had an Amazon wish list, and we had over 300 items on it. And within a matter of a couple of weeks, they were all sent to my, to my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was so great. So this is a program now we decided we're going to do every year at the end of every school year for the summer so kids can have a fun activity to do. So how much time of your time gets spent on the charity? I mean, all of it. Like, all of it. I, I'm not married. I don't have kids. This is my full-time job. So I can't tell you the amount of months that will go by in certain periods of the year where I work seven days a week till midnight because I can, you know, I mean, that's also a huge reason why. Well, lots of people can. It still makes you (laughs) exceptional for doing it. It's just, you know, there's, we're at after three years where many charities are at after like eight years. And so, but I have the availability to put into it and I, you know, the summers are lighter. So I, you know, take, try and take Fridays off or work shorter. I, I have a good balance or, in that time, I'll meet a friend for happy hour, but then I'll come home and work some more. I make time. I definitely feel like I have a good balance of work and life because I can go meet a friend for lunch, but then work again. It's My schedule is my own. So, um, you also I make time love what you do. Yeah. So. I, I truly, like, I look forward to Mondays. I hate when it's a like a Christmas break. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I, I want to work. I want, or hurricanes come. I'm like, oh. There's no more meetings. And today and yesterday, I had two of the busiest days I've had in a long time. And I was like, go, go, go. And it was so great to be, you know, even though I was at home, it was so great to be back in that, like, hustle and bustle. And you don't stop either. Like, we've been out just as friends, hanging out with other friends. and not Stop trying to convince people you have friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just kind of walked up to her group of friends. I was like, hey, guys, can I hang out with you? Um, where the, the, the event we were at was not like a... a it was just us hanging out. It wasn't like an event. But you don't stop working. Like even in those moments. Like if some, we meet someone or I introduce you to a friend of mine, you are ready with that sales pitch of this oh, yeah. is what I do. Because you you're always networking and always looking for someone who can help and uh, be of service to you. And yeah, you just don't stop. Yeah, I bring my business card in my like going out clutch when I go to the bars at night because you never know who you're going to meet and you may want to give your business card to but I also have a side LLC where I teach people how to start a nonprofit. And so I've been, I've used a lot of quarantine time where bit meetings for going places have slowed to build the online course so I can help people. Cause people ask me all the time, you know, how do you, how did, can I have advice? Like, how did you start this? And it was just two hours of me with just unorganized advice. And so I tried workshops and those were too, it was too intensive still. So I spread it out over seven months and I can walk people through every single thing you need to do in the right order over the seven months with every downloadable worksheets, every like your board meeting agenda. Like I give you every single thing you may need, every networking event you should attend across in the country. And um, so I've been working on that a lot and that takes up any other free time I have. Oh, I could, I would love to do a whole podcast just on that. But <laughs> before, I have a couple questions before, how many bikes have you guys given out? We've get, by the end of this year, um, 
Over 2,000. Over 2,000. And nice. we give locks and helmets too with them. Awesome. And are those all local or are you in different markets? Where are you guys doing this? So currently we're just in Charleston, but the goal is to expand all over the country. So we have a few um, possibilities in some other cities. They just haven't quite, you know, got that signed on the dotted line. It's like so close, but then it hasn't happened yet. But when, the, you, when you say you have to find somebody that you trust to run the organization no. there? So the way we'll expand is, excuse me. <coughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> Stop the podcast. <laughs> the, way, the way we'll expand is we'll find a business that wants to purchase all of the bikes for a, a school near their business. So for instance, Kiowa Cares Foundation, they funded all of the bikes for Frierson Elementary. So they become the only sponsor um, at the bike reveal, whereas usually we'll have like, you know, 13 sponsors um, and we'll, we can put their logos on the bike. Since we custom make our bikes, we pick out the color, we name them, we put our logo on them and we can include their logo. So that's how we'll expand finding these businesses, maybe that want a partner, like a mortgage broker and a realtor or something that can go in on it together. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so how, how, how much, so, okay. So what does it cost to sponsor bikes for a school? Is that something you would share on this or is yeah. that too much information? Yeah, no. So, um, it's about a hundred dollars for a bike lock and helmet and a good estimate, give or take $5,000. So I'd say if you were going to give like 300 bikes, it'd be like $30,000. There's a few other things you need to factor in. Um, like if I have to travel by plane, we have to factor in 20% on top of that. Um, if I, if we're local, it's we factor in 10% on top of that just for the overhead and all the work that I have to do for it. Um, and if I have to drive somewhere, we add in 15%. So um, like out of, you know, drive to Atlanta or something. Um, so that is a good rough estimate. Usually we can get many things donated as long as the bike sponsor is okay with whoever's donating, like um, the t-shirts, let's say, for all the volunteers, um, them being a, like a, a lower level sponsor too, or they can pay for it. Like it's just up to them. So it, there's other like little things you can fact that can, you know, make up that extra 5,000. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what's next? I know that, that was a question yeah. that got you going last time. You know what's next? Well, year? yeah. So I had mentioned, you know, our bundles of joy, our Halloween, but we have a third, another program. So our bikes, we actually the, the fourth one, um, which is our teachers and staff program called Give a Surprise, Give Joy. And we've given um, to almost, mm-hmm. almost a thousand staff members. We partner with local businesses we go into the schools and we knock on every single classroom door. We go into the nurse's office like we interrupt instruction and we hand them a treat, whatever the business's product is. So we've got given Escapada Living clothes, like gift cards to there. We've given, I've seen people cry over a cup of coffee because going back to the stress the kids are bringing from home, by 10 a.m., you like your, your coffee was done four hours ago and it you could really use a treat. And so um, we've... We've seen tremendous um, response in that. And again, it's all product donation. It's so easy. So we'll continue with that. But the next big next thing is just expanding and trying to get all 31 Title I elementary schools in Charleston County funded. Awesome. And so if I just happen to be an upper middle class person listening to this who wants to help out and donate, how do I do it? You can go to our website. It's goingplacesnonprofit.org. And then what? And you is can it, click the it, big donate button at the top, okay. or you can 
go to any of our social media pages. On Facebook, it's at Going Places Nonprofit. And on Instagram, it's at underscore, I'm sorry, at Going underscore Places underscore Nonprofit. And both have donation buttons, um, or you can click contact, and it's always me that responds. And so if you had, you know, to me, if, I, if someone was like, I want to start a nonprofit, like my first thought would be like, why? Because you got to really want it and know how much time you're going to put in. Like it has to be really important to you because to do it, a lot of people do it and don't do it right or don't do it. I want to say don't do it right. I mean, don't get the results they think they're going to get for the time they think they're going to put in. But I'm curious from your perspective as an expert, if you one or two pieces of advice for somebody even thinking about going down this route, what are some of the things they should be asking themselves? Well, I mean, number one, you can take my course and I'll guide you right through it. And take all that guesswork out. Wait, where, where do we go to get your course? <laughs> yeah, you can um, you can email me directly. I actually have a free pod or free uh, webinar that teaches you the five main key steps on starting a nonprofit. And I have a Facebook group called Starting a Nonprofit One Hundred and One. And so you can message me and I can send you the link to any of that stuff. So she just invited everybody to slide into her DMs. Yep. <laughs> and get the course. Awesome. But no, real, but some good advice though is my number one thing is surround yourself with professionals. Don't pretend to be an expert in things you aren't an expert in. Don't file for your, don't try and file for your 501c3 yourself. Get a lawyer to do it and don't, don't pay them. Ask them to do it on trade, to join your board, to get sponsorship for it. Like don't pay for things because every penny you're paying isn't is not going towards your mission and i like cannot handle that i mean obviously some things you have to pay for but there's enough people that out there who have enough of these services that want to help ask around ask someone to help you it takes them less than 30 minutes to file for your 501c3 it's super simple but you if you're trying to do it yourself might mess it up and then when you're trying to get something as simple as like a liquor permit for an event down the line at the irs something could be filed wrong and you're in a whole mess of things so um, get a nonprofit tax accountant, not just a regular accountant. Get someone who can do it all, who can do all of your QuickBooks, do all of your um, filing for your 990, who can do everything. Um, instead of trying to keep track of a million things yourself, it's just chaos. Um, getting a financial person on board, on, on your board, who can help you understand. Because for me, it's like my least favorite part is with the finances. It's not where my brain is. So I have a finance, two finance people on my board that can help with that kind of stuff. So surrounding yourself with people that are good at things you're not, so you don't spend this time, you know, half-assing it, trying to figure it out, and it's not going to be that great. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any other questions before we get into uh, favorite spots in Charleston? <laughs> All right. So no, good. if we see you at the bar, someone wants to buy you a drink, what are you drinking? Um, rosé. What bar are you probably <laughs> at? Um, I, I'm at Shem Creek a lot. Okay, so like is red your spot? Or no, I really like Tavern Table the most. Okay, awesome. What's your favorite drink? So rosé at Tavern Table, that's your deal? Yeah, I'm a big rosé person. Rosé all day. They have the best. <laughs> what is it, Just blueberry mule? I just want uh, that black right now. Yeah, I firmly re- recommend the black and mule. Oh, mule, I was mule. heavily into that for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, do you have one bad night that broke your relationship? No, I, no, I, <laughs> I, I think I just, I just focus on that rosé all the time. I kind of forgot they had that now that you brought it up. Yeah, awesome. That's that and the, they have a really good steak there with those potatoes. It's really... It's off the menu right now. Uh, well, yes, the coronavirus oh, menu. Yeah. 
So, um, and then if you're not a Shem, next favorite place, restaurants, friends, you want to um, shout out? One of my, I love Nico a lot. Um, I love their brunch. I love their dinner. I love their happy hour. I just love, I love that atmosphere. I love their, Indaco is one of my favorite restaurants for, you know, good celebration or someone's in town or just like a great pasta meal. Um, those are some of my, my favorites. I love, you know, going to get a drink at Halls with, you know, I can usually afford one, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that everybody knows you're the toast of the town, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty easy to get free drinks at Halls, uh, is my understanding. I don't, that doesn't like happen with me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> sure, well, sure, sure. Uh, uh, we can teach you a class on that. If you want, if you want to know how to get free drinks at a bar, I'd be happy to exchange services. I can show you how to do that. But um, honestly, this is awesome. I think you did a great job. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. And, yeah. Um, we will love to get the word out. And again, where are we going to donate? Because we want to buy bikes. Yeah, you're going to goingplacesnonprofit.org. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, hope, thanks. And honestly, come back again and we'll do one all about the, uh, the How to Start the Nonprofit Yeah, I would love to. We can get people involved in that. Too. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.